Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. Thank you, Connie. Thank you, Jeff. You need to learn how to play the piano. Wow. Wish I could play like that. I'm just kidding. That's fantastic. Thank you. Hey, if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Timothy chapter number 5. And while you're turning there, uh, let me again welcome you. I know I have a couple of uh, friends visiting. My friend Benji is here and his friend Derek. We're glad that you're here. And... Uh, uh, he didn't know I was going to do this, and he'll probably hit me later, but um, Benji is the one you can be thankful for that you have a cookbook, because the cookbooks that were on my computer, my computer crashed about six or seven weeks ago, and I had one document, but it was not an editable document, but through technology and Benji's perseverance, he took that document and finished our cookbook, so thank you so much for doing that. We're grateful for you. Thank you, sir. That's uh, Technology is helpful if you know how to use it. I'm still learning. So uh, I don't need to tell you this morning, uh, there has been a lot going on in the world in the last week. Um, like you, I watched the news this past week of the uh, tragedy uh, in Texas uh, where a gunman decided to open fire on a classroom of kids. Uh, I want to remind you, church family, because I'm not sure all of us are on the same page yet. We're pretty close. Uh, that that is an important issue in the life of our church when it comes to security and safety. That's why we started a safety team. And uh, by the way, our safety team needs help. We need more bodies. So if you're interested in being a part of that this morning, I want to encourage you to uh, sign up and see uh, Alan, who's done a great job of pulling together uh, safety team and medical team and natural disaster team. Those are the things we should be prepared for as a church family. So when I saw that happen this week, I thought, thank God we are moving in that direction as a church to keep us safe. I know that sometimes you come to a door and it's locked and it's time for a service and you're wanting to get in. And you may get frustrated. Uh, I want to encourage you to push through those frustrations. Uh, because we have people, even uh, this week, there was a person kind of walking around on the property that we didn't know, and uh, we have to keep our church safe, and of course our weekday program as well, which is here five days a week with kids meeting. And uh, they celebrated some graduations this week. Uh, Ashley and her team did a fantastic job, and I'll show you a photo of that at the end of the service, but I just want to mention those things. And then one other thing that I'll share, uh, actually in the course of the message this morning, I was sharing with our team before the service started. It's interesting how God's timing as we go through Scripture, uh, His timing oftentimes parallels what's happening in the world. And we've even had uh, some things uh, finally after several years come to light uh, with our Southern Baptist Convention uh, that I'll be sharing with you what our response is as a church at the end of the service. So those are things to come in the next 25 or 30 minutes or so, if you'll kind of prepare yourself. 1 Timothy chapter number 5. Uh, and I'm going to do something that I don't, don't normally do this morning. One, because there's a lot here to talk about. And two, 
because of time, I'm probably going to stop, as I sometimes do with every verse, but kind of give you the points of what I take away from this message that Paul has for us as he writes to Timothy here, instead of reading the whole passage and then kind of giving you those points, we're going to stop along the way. So let's start together, 1 Timothy 5 verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers. Let's stop right there. Keep in mind that Paul is writing to Timothy and he's trying to give him some guidance as his mentor Uh, what he's going to be facing when it comes to church life. And most of his instruction that he is writing in in these chapters of 1 Timothy, and we'll discover when we get to 2 Timothy, middle of the summer, he's writing, giving him instructions of how the church is supposed to function, how the church is supposed to operate. In this chapter, how the church, the body of Christ, is supposed to treat each other. It's interesting that we need some instruction on that, but we oftentimes do. And the first thing that Timothy hears from Paul is do not sharply rebuke an older man. Now, if you're like me, when I read that word rebuke, that word, those six letters are all throughout the New Testament. That word rebuke is mentioned several times. And so there's also certain groups of people that Paul defines for Timothy. The first group is men. And he says to uh, Timothy about men, rebuke. Now, rebuke in this verse is not the normal word that we will see throughout other places in the New Testament when we read that word rebuke. Right here it simply means to strike at. Much like what we saw some men do with the Oscars. Don't rebuke. That's not a good kind of rebuke. Paul's telling Timothy, don't strike out or strike at uh, an older person, an older man. It's actually the only place in the New Testament this particular word is used. And it means literally to to hit, to strike. So he tells Timothy, don't attack men physically, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers. So basically Paul is saying, treat them with respect as you would treat the younger men with respect as brothers. Now, you and I know there's some other places in the New Testament where there is the word rebuke. And you say, what does that mean? Well, rebuke is used several other places in the New Testament. And largely, when you see that word rebuke, it's used as one of the job descriptions for a pastor. Joy, joy. The pastor is supposed to rebuke. Leaders are supposed to rebuke. Teachers are supposed to rebuke. In 2 Timothy, when we get into 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about to pastors and preachers, he says, Be ready in season and out of season, exhort and rebuke the people that God has called you to shepherd. That's not a popular thing to do as a pastor. Then or in 2022, because rebuking is difficult. It's not only difficult for the one who is doing the rebuking, but it's difficult for the one who is the rebuker. The rebuke are, are the rebukee. And you say, well, why is it difficult? We know it's difficult because uh, the role of a teacher and the role of a leader. Matter of fact, James tells us that when the role of a teacher or a leader is rebuking, you should be careful because teachers will be judged much more harshly. So this word rebuke is important. And he's not talking about... Uh, not doing the things that I just mentioned. He's talking about not striking out. So what he's saying is be respectful, but teach 
and rebuke in the other ways that we see throughout the New Testament. Basically, it's a clear presentation that someone is doing something wrong. Paul is telling Timothy, when you see that, call them out on it. Confront, confront their behavior in love when something's wrong. Again, not very popular in 2022. It's not popular in our world, not popular in our state. But that's what God has called us to do. It is a rebuking and things like church discipline are a lost thing in 2022. It's not easy. And the problem is that oftentimes when you and I are rebuked, what we do is immediately what? You know, because you do it and I do it too. I'm no different than you. Uh, Sometimes, and you sometimes, we tend to go into defense mode when we're rebuked. And there are ways to be rebuked. There is constructive criticism. Some of you have experienced that. And some of us have experienced deconstructive antagonism. Where we're rebuked, but we know it's not in love. I have a friend of mine who's since moved away, but he was wonderful at rebuking because he could come upside you and rebuke you, and you would feel like you were getting hit with a brick, but it was wrapped in nice velvet and cotton. And you would actually thank him for telling you off because he did it in such a wonderful, godly way. Not many of us have that gift, by the way. And it wasn't until he left your presence that you would realize, wow, he just, he just told me off. And I felt good about it. Wow, how did he do that? Well, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is telling Timothy, there's going to come a time in this church, we know there was a lot of things that were being taught that weren't correct. There was a lot of heresy. There was a lot of infighting with one another, a lot of arguments. And so Paul is telling Timothy, you're going to encounter some of these things, but you need to rebuke people in the right way, not sharply rebuke, not get physical, but do it in the right way. Spurgeon says it this way, A sensible friend who will unsparingly criticize you from week to week will be a far greater blessing to you than a thousand undiscriminating admirers if you have sense enough to bear his treatment and grace enough to be thankful for it. Can I just tell you something? You have the freedom to, and I'm even say for our staff, because where I'm heading in a minute, you need to hear this as a church family, as a brother and sister in Christ. If we're going to operate as a New Testament church, if you're a child of God and I'm a child of God and you really love me, you have the authority, according to God's word, to come to me and spiritually rebuke me. And I do you. But we don't see that a lot in our world. And I would submit the reason why is we don't love like Jesus taught us to love. We say we love, but when it gets hard to confront somebody in truth, I don't know if they're going to take that right. They may not like me anymore. They may not talk to me anymore. They may get upset. So what Paul is telling Timothy here is not easy. It's very difficult. But he goes on and he addresses another group. He talks about the men, but then he says, here's about the, the women. The older women treat them as mothers. And the younger women, he mentions them, in all purity. So he mentions the women. Then he mentions a specific group after that. When you get down to verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God. And continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even 
where she lives. So what is he saying? He's giving some instructions to Timothy for, for men, for women, for widows. And if you were to summarize all those, Jesus summarized them very well in the book of Matthew with what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now I know some people in the world think it's do unto others before they do unto you. Or do unto others as they did unto you. But that's not the golden rule. That's not the way Jesus said it. And what Paul is sharing with Timothy here can be summarized really in what Jesus says. But Paul uses this very important word in verse 3. It's the word honor. We're here today on this Memorial Day weekend. And we're talking about honoring those who have gone before us who have fought. And who have lost their lives. Who paid the greatest price. And many of you in this room have lost loved ones who have paid that ultimate price. Thank you. Thank you. We honor them today. That's also a word we don't use much in our culture anymore. But honor is, even though it's five letters, it's a weighty word. It's a big word. And when Paul says to Timothy, what you need to do is honor those widows, it doesn't mean one Sunday you have a recognition for them. It means you support them, you sustain them, you undergird them, you serve them, you look after them, you pray for them. That's a loaded word is what it means. And then he kind of goes into explaining to us about who are really widows. Does the widow have children? He gives us some questions. Does she trust God? Has she been living in pleasure? You know, it's very, that's, this is a very difficult issue as well because you may not realize this or, or not, uh, but... Uh, from time to time during the week, we have people come by to the church in need. And they come by the office. And they will ask Janice. And if one of the pastors is here, they'll come get us. And we'll talk to them. And we'll find out information. And we'll fill out a sheet. And it's interesting. Uh, all the different backgrounds and all the different situations of those people. And I'll be honest, as one of the pastors here, we struggle oftentimes about what do we do. Well, Paul, through Timothy, and in his writing to Timothy, gives gives us some instructions that if that person is a widow, here are some things that you should be asking. Because there are some people, there there are many people, who around the world, around the country, who will come to the church in assistance because they're in need. But the reality is, you know it and I know it, they have lived their lives in wanton pleasure, as Paul is telling Timothy here, And then they expect the church to bail them out. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm not saying we don't help people. But oftentimes what we tend to do is, and this happens not just in the third world, but it happens in the first world. We thwart the consequences that people should endure because we help them when maybe we shouldn't. And that's what was happening in this day. And so Paul is trying to give Timothy some advice here. Here's some questions you ask. You need to find out about these people. You don't just need to throw caution to the wind. Because it could be legitimate that we say, hey, you know what? You've lived in pleasure. Maybe you need to suffer the consequences. Sometimes in our own life, in my life, I can tell you that sometimes, many times, it's the consequence of my action that pushes me back to God. If people were to intervene every time I had consequences then we may just tend to think we could live however we want. And so Paul has given Timothy some great words. He says this, Honor widows who are widows indeed. Honor is a big, big word. By the way, some of those folks that we help, you may say, do they ever come back? they ever come back and say thank you? 
Do they ever come to a service that they've been invited to? Rarely. Say, Pastor, are you saying don't help those people? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we should, we should be very uh, smart at how we help people. And Paul has given Timothy some instruction here. Why was he given these instructions? As a matter of fact, verse 7, let's continue. He says, prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. And here's another key verse. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And God's... One of God's ways of providing for the needy is through the church, but another one of way one of the ways God provides for the needy is W O R K work. And trust me, that is a very difficult thing to balance in the first world or the third world. As you know, uh, we have a work in the Dominican Republic, and what I've been told by Dominicans—I don't know that this is true, but this is what I've been told is that what is different between someone from the Dominican and someone from Haiti, is if you see someone from Haiti, they will say, give me a dollar. If you see someone from the Dominican Republic, they will say, give me a job. Two different mentalities. See somebody in the United States, a lot of times they say, give me a dollar. So Paul's given us some very important instructions here to the men, to the women, to the widows. And I encourage you to read through those next few verses 9 through 16 because he elaborates a little bit more on the widows but for sake of time I want to get to the next group of people that he mentions verse 17 it says let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching I'd like for you to highlight that in your Bible just kidding underline that one what does that mean? What does that mean? I've heard people talk about that and, and ask, what, you know, what does that mean, double honor? What does that mean? When that day and time, there was a challenge of the church taking care as it grew and church bodies grew. It was a challenge among the church of them taking care of those people who preached and who were doing the teaching. And so Paul has already told Timothy, hey, widows are worthy of honor. They're worthy of support, sustaining, prayer, undergirding. But those elders, those pastors who teach, are worthy of double honor. Notice there's some qualifications, though, on that verse, if you read it. Those who rule well will be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who work hard at preaching and in teaching. Now, I I know, let me just go on record at at saying this. There are some people in our world and in our country and in church life that think the church shouldn't support pastors and staff. That paid ministry is kind of a, you know, an abomination. I am grateful that Crossroads is not one of those churches, just so you know. If you're visiting here and you want to see a copy of the budget, you can see it. And you can see what goes to support the staff of this church. And we're grateful. I think I can speak on behalf of all of our staff to tell you that I'm grateful for that. And those people who would say you don't need to support those, that may sound great in thinking, but it's not biblical according to what Paul's telling Timothy. We should support those who are teaching, who are preaching. As a matter of fact, as we grow as a church family, there will be decisions that we will have to make together as a church about what does that look like as we grow into the future. 
We're, we're around, just to be honest with you, we're, we're around, we've talked about this with the staff and some of our leadership, we're around that number where it gets just, it gets very unrealistic to expect some of you who are lay people who are leading teams to do your job and also lead your team and give 25 hours a week to the church. That gets really unrealistic and as our church grows, we will have to decide how do we solve that problem like many churches have had to do. We're not unique in that. As we grow, Lord willing, to 250, 300, it's not about numbers, but as God sends us more people to make more disciples, that's the goal, making disciples, we will have to determine what does that look like. I'm not a uh, mathematician. I could figure it out pretty quickly by looking at our budget and tell you what the percentage is for supporting our staff. It's, It's a large piece of the pie. When you look at our budget... Some may say, well, then that's, you know, it gets a certain amount, that's probably too much. I probably would agree with you on that. You know one way to change that? We increase the other line items of our budget. Instead of giving $15,000 to missions, we give $50,000 to missions. Instead of doing a little bit here, we do more here. Instead of giving some of the things that we have in our budget where there are small numbers, we increase those numbers. It's easy to do percentage and mathematically. This is not a giving sermon this morning, but when I think about what Paul is saying to Timothy right here, I don't know how they did it in Paul's day, or Timothy's day. But I imagine people were giving, and people were tithing, and they were giving their offerings, they were giving their best unto the Lord. One of the questions, as you know, I ask questions of myself when I read the scripture. One of the questions I asked this week when I was reading this and wrote down is, what am I giving when it comes to my financial resources to the Lord. If we all were giving a minimal, paltry amount to the Lord, you know what our budget would be at Crossroads Baptist Church? Over a million dollars. Easy. Easy. You say, Pastor, what is it right now? About half of that. Say, why is that important? Folks, it's important because every one of those pennies, every one of those nickels, dimes, quarters, dollars, can go to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I look at what's going on in our world, it could be any moment, it could be any day, any hour, it could be during this service that Jesus comes back. And then what will we say? And then what scares me is what will I say as one of the pastors of this church? What really scares me, and our church does not fall into this category either, for which I am very grateful, is I know many churches that have in their bank account 500,000, 600,000, millions of dollars sitting in a bank account waiting for a rainy day. To that I say, guess what? That is millions of dollars sitting in a bank account that could be reaching people for Jesus today. Don't wait on the rain. Because the Lord is returning. Say, Pastor, you say it don't save. That's not what I'm saying. I think we should have some in savings, a reasonable amount. Financially, in our own home budget and in our church budget, we should be smart. So when Paul tells Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, I read that verse and you know what I say? Thank God for Crossroads Baptist Church because we're doing exactly what Paul is telling Timothy he should be doing. Thank you. Thank you. Don't take that lightly. There are not many churches and many Pastors of churches that can say that, so thank you. But he says something else that's interesting. To these elders, to this group of elders. And it puts it in perspective, because when you read that verse, it can make it sound like 
Pastors and elders are worthy of double honor. I made the comment a few weeks ago about just call me bishop, and some of you took it literal. Some people have been calling me bishop. I was just kidding. But when you read that verse, it can make it sound like, well, we just honor pastors, and we give them credit and honor them with no strings attached. That's not what Paul tells Timothy. And this is a challenge in our world. It's a challenge in our denomination of how we treat elders and how we treat pastors. We should treat them. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about any pastor, elder in any church. We should treat them with respect. But Paul says in verse 17, those who rule well, number one. But then he also says this, and we don't need to miss it. Verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin, here's the other meaning of rebuke. You see it, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. What's he saying? We live in a world where accusations run like wildfire. He's not saying don't look at people's life. He's not saying don't evaluate people's life. He's saying to Timothy, don't receive an accusation except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Why is he saying that? Because we live in a world where everybody likes to gossip and everybody likes to accuse. You know what? Any accusation against the leader shouldn't automatically be just received. Timothy is not promoting uh, um, unsubstantiated accusations about church leaders. You know, John Calvin said it this way when he talked about accusations of pastors and elders. The more sincerely any pastor strives to further God's kingdom, the more he is loaded with spite, the more fierce the attacks upon him become. And not only so, but as soon as any charge is made against ministers of the word, it is believed as surely and firmly as if it had been already proven. This happens not only because of a higher standard of integrity is required for them, but because Satan makes most people, in fact, nearly everyone, over-credulous so that without investigation, they eagerly condemn their pastors whose good name they ought to be defending. It's the old guilty until proven innocent. And boy, we live in a world where that is the case because of social media and technology and all the like. So what are you saying, pastor? I'm saying you need to be careful. Am I saying that all pastors and elders are perfect and they got it together and they're worthy of double honor regardless of what happens? No, that's not what I'm saying and that's not what Paul is telling Timothy. He's giving some criteria. But we live in a world where people love to bring accusations. Spurgeon tells a story one time of somebody in his church who came to him with an accusation and he responded this way. And I love this. I'm going to start doing this. He said, that's very important. Thank you for bringing that to my full attention. And, but my memory's not so good. I have a lot to think about. Could you write all that down for me? He says, usually that takes care of it because nobody wants to write down their gossip. But there is a flip side to this story. And Paul tells Timothy that without going into detail. He tells him if there's an accusation... Don't allow that, don't receive it, don't accept it unless there's two or three 
witnesses. Well, you say, Pastor Jack, what happens if there's more than two or three witnesses? If there's more than two or three witnesses, my friend, guess what? It's time for an investigation. And we have, some of you have asked me about it, we have gone through that in the life of our Southern Baptist Convention in the last few months, last few years to be honest. And what has come to light is not good. Matter of fact, it is grievous. It's painful. I have read most of the 300-page report that came from Godstone Solutions, the task force that was finally approved by uh, the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention. I've read most of that report this week, and I wanted to get sick, just to be honest with you. We must... As a church, as a state convention, as a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, take sin seriously. If you don't know all the ins and outs of what I'm talking about, praise God that you don't. If you want to know, I'll tell you after the service. But what's been happening in our convention are... Abuse issues, physical, verbal, sexual, and on the list goes. Among those people that Paul and Timothy here would qualify as pastors and elders that were receiving at some point double honor. I'll be honest, what, what I have read this week, and as I've been just thinking about this message this morning, I, I wasn't even sure I could even share this scripture Because I I am not worthy to stand here and preach. The two sides of the coin are, every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has fallen. Every one of us is in need of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. That's the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, for those of us who have received it, God calls us as children of His to a higher standard of living. And I would submit that, yes, the Scripture is clear, especially here in this chapter of 1 Timothy, when he's talking about elders and pastors. But the reality is, God has called all of us as His children to a higher standard of living. And what's come out in this report and some of the details, again, I, I tell you every week, I'm honest with you, and I am. The thought that came to my mind was, I would not want anybody taking a video and putting up here on the screen of my last 53 years. Because there's been good days where you might grab a frame and go, wow, what a godly person, what a servant of Jesus, bishop. And then if you saw another screen, you may go, who is that man that is the pastor, one of the pastors at Crossroads? Because we're all susceptible to sin. And one of my takeaways this week as I read that report is that reminder, all of us are susceptible to sin and all of us need the grace of Jesus. But the other side of the coin is, Paul tells Timothy, verse 20, those who continue, there's the key word, 
Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. That is exactly what has happened to me this week. Fearful of sinning. That's a good result, by the way. We all should be fearful of sinning. Not because we're going to get caught. We should be fearful of sinning because it grieves the heart of God. How many times I'm fearful of getting caught versus fearful of offending a holy, 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 as was played this morning, a holy God. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, those who continue in sin, rebuke all of them. In the presence of everybody, those who continue to sin. There is a process that, out, that Jesus also outlined in the book of Matthew, I think it's chapter 14. The process apparently, Paul is telling Timothy, if you've already fulfilled, because they knew the teachings of Jesus. If you've already followed that process where you went to them in private and they didn't listen. You took some people with you and went to them in private and they didn't listen. After that, put it in the newspaper. And that's what's happened with our convention. It's in a 200, 300 page report. Serious business, church. It's not just serious on a national scale or a state scale. It's serious at a crossroads Baptist church scale. How are you living? How am I living? Paul says it this way in another one of his letters. Don't be, uh, don't be surprised God's not mocked. mocked. What you reap is what you sow. And so what else does Paul tell Timothy? I solemnly charge you. Verse 21. I solemnly charge you. Another translation. Some, some of those translations say. I strongly urge you. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels. Maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. What's, what's he saying to us? I wrote down just a few little personal notes I think we get from these verses. And to close, for sake of time, I'll just share those quickly. Number one, how can we respond? Receive correction when needed. Receive correction when needed. We live in a world, and some of it's our human nature, where we like to sweep. I I, I use two analogies some of you will relate to. We like to either sweep things under the rug, or we like to kick the can down the road and deal with it later. Forgive me, but my personality loathes both of those things. It's not because I'm all, all that or that I'm holier, better than you. I'm at that age in my life where I've had enough life experience to know when I do that, it usually comes back to bite me somewhere. So when we get corrected, we need to receive it when it's needed. Number two, we need to respect each person as a unique Creation of God. Man, woman, widow, brother, sister, all 
unique creations of Jesus. Number three, pray for the sinner, despise the sin. That sounds simple. That's not a Baptist cliche. It's the truth of God's word. We've made it a cliche so much so that we don't even really know what it means. Some of the names that have come out, and as more of this continues to come out in the next few weeks or months, it would be very easy for us to turn our hatred toward a person, and that's not what God's Word teaches. Do they need to be held to account? Yes. We need to pray for them and despise the sin, because the reality is, Until you take your last breath, and maybe you're visiting this morning and you need to hear this. Until you or I take our last breath, we are not beyond the redemption of God. I was watching, flipping through the TV channels the other night, watching one of those investigative reports of a guy in prison who had killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Some of the bodies they had found, some of them they hadn't. And as I'm watching this, I could, which is another reason to turn your TV off, I could just feel my blood pressure rising, getting angry and angry and angry, and thinking, they need to take him outside, chop his head off. I mean, I would... And the Holy Spirit kind of you realize you're guilty without the blood of Jesus? Pray for the sinner, despise the sin. Maybe you're here visiting this morning. And you hear about these groups of people that Paul is sharing with Timothy how to treat people. Can I encourage you with this today from, from God's word? God loves you. He has a great plan for you and for me. And maybe you, have, maybe you have been a part of a church or maybe darkened the door of a church at some point in time where you weren't treated the way that you should have been treated. If you're visiting and you've done that and you've dropped in here at Crossroads, I'm glad to tell you you're a part of a church where we want to treat people with the love of Jesus Christ. In just a minute, we're going to have a song of invitation. And maybe, as you've heard the message today, maybe you're... Hopefully going through your mind at how you could respond. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? Uh, I need to do better at receiving correction. Maybe there's a loved one in your life whose life you see careening out of control. And God has prompted your heart on many occasions to rebuke that person. But you're fearful of what their response is, is instead of going to them in love with the right tone the right vocal inflection, saying, I love you. If you don't change what you're doing, it's going to be disastrous. It's funny, the older I get, the more easier that becomes for me. I think it's because I know the days are getting more and more limited of the opportunity to do that. Maybe this morning you're just going, you know what, I need to pray for some of those that have maybe hurt You. And ask God to change your heart. Because see what happens if you start hating the person. And that takes root. Satan wins. 
But he takes that hatred and turns it into bitterness and anger. And next thing you know, you've become just like that person. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I I don't know how how you want us to respond this morning to what you've shared in your word with us, God. But I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Thank you, Lord, that we are in a church who values all those groups that Paul mentioned to Timothy. Men and women and widows and elders. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for a church family who values staff and our pastors and our leaders. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Would you teach us how we can be more like you? Would you teach us how we can respond more like your word shares with us to do? Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this time that needs to respond. Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to their heart during this time. And help them be obedient. Maybe there's something in their own life that they've kind of swept under the rug. Or they've kicked the can down the road. And you've said this morning, you've... You put your finger on that and said, you need to deal with that today. God, as difficult as that is, I pray that they would be obedient to do that. In just a second, church family, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll be down here at the front. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come and join me. And maybe you just need to come pray. The altar will be open. It's been a challenging week for many of you this week. And you just want to come pray. Please do that. Maybe you want to come grab one of us by the hand this morning and say, I I need to deal with this thing in my life. Maybe you're visiting today and you want to put your roots down here at Crossroads Baptist Church. We'd be honored to have you to become a part of this family. Whatever God's leading you to do today, I pray that you would respond in obedience. Have your way this morning, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Joey is going to lead us in a song of invitation. And you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.